the Ten Commandments for a few weeks now. Uh, I've been challenging you all to memorize the Ten Commandments. I hope that's going well uh, as you're uh, studying these at home in your personal devotion times or with your family or with your chapter. Uh, there are ten of them. We've studied three of them so far. We've studied the first and second ones, and we've studied the fifth commandment. And you remember how uh, in the Ten Commandments there's two scrolls, and the first scroll is about our relationship with God and how that's supposed to look, and the second scroll is about all of our relationships with each other and how that's supposed to look. We've studied the first two on the first scroll and the first one on the second scroll. Last week, honor your father and mother, man, that was tough. And I walked with some of you through some of the, the, the baggage from that sermon uh, this week uh, because that's some serious business. Today's um, might be a little less painful for some of you, but it's no less important as we dig in and talk about the third commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. I think that the third commandment is probably the most often misunderstood because nobody knows what it means. And if I was to ask you, what's that commandment mean? You probably would say, oh, you mean thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain? Because that's uh, what the King James Version says, something like that. And that's what we grew up understanding that the third commandment meant. But nobody knows what that means. Don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Okay, well, I guess it means we should say, oh my gosh, instead of oh my God. Like, I think that's what we boil down the third commandment to. Like, you should, if you're upset or you're angry or, you know, somebody does something to you, that instead of saying, oh, my God, you say, oh, my gosh, and you're covered. Like, that's another commandment you don't have to worry about. Uh, I, I'm, I've always been troubled by that idea that God will leave no one unpunished for saying, oh, my God, instead of, oh, my gosh, because... The personality of a God like that just sounds like a, an insecure playground bully who, if you don't say his name right, he beats you up. You know, is that, is that who we're saying God is? Does God dish out arbitrary punishment like that just because you don't say his name at the right time or the right way? It's weird to me. And I have trouble in my rebellious spirit. I have trouble submitting to it, the idea of a God like that. And so I, I spent quite a bit of time uh, wrestling with what this uh, commandment uh, really means. Uh, oh my God versus oh my gosh, just didn't do it for me. One time I was hanging out with a friend of mine who was a pastor, uh, and this was in Kansas City years ago. We were hanging out, Gio and I didn't have kids yet. We were hanging out with him and his family, his wife and his two kids. Hannah Grace was six, uh, and Reese was three at the time. And they're just the picture-perfect image of pastor's kids. You know, it's a Sunday afternoon. They're fresh home from church. And we're all there just decompressing and starting to eat in the living room and, and watching a game or something. And the kids are there playing with their Legos. And they're, like, still in their Sunday best. And Hannah Grace has her little Mary Janes on and a little dress and the bow in her hair and just looks adorable. And they sound adorable playing together. But you all know what they say about preacher's kids, right? And I guess just any kids given enough time, we'll turn on each other, especially siblings. And they're playing with their Legos, and I hear the conversation starting to take a turn for the worse. As Hannah Grace starts to brag to Reese, her little brother, about how much taller her Lego princess castle is than his, you know, whatever he's building, dungeon thing that he's building, uh, like, you know, and with his Legos. And, and Reese doesn't like that one bit. And so before she's even done bragging, he has completely obliterated the tower that she, it looked like she worked for hours on this thing, just with one fell swoop, boom! And before 
All the Legos even hit the floor. Cute little Hannah Grace, six years old, preacher's daughter, Mary James, dress, bow in her hair, sweet little voice. She says, GD it, Reese. Like she says it. God blank it, Reese. <laughs> and I did what she's doing. I laugh, man, because it's funny. I, kids cursing is just funny. I don't know why. It's funny. Kids, you're not allowed to do that, but you, it's hilarious if you do. And so, Gio and I try to contain our laughter. And of course, my preacher friend and his wife are just mortified. Their sweet little girl has dropped a GD on a Sunday afternoon. And so my friend says, Hannah Grace, get over here. And she knows she's in trouble. And so she starts the little girl whimper that melts every dad's heart because she thinks it's gonna get her out of trouble. I think that's the truth. Like she starts the, <laughs> you know, that thing. She comes and stands in front of her daddy and he says, you know it's a bad word, right? And she just nods. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, he says, you're never gonna say that word again, are you? And she goes, and she shakes her head no. And he says, next time your brother upsets you like that, what are you gonna say instead? And she thinks about it for a minute. I see the wheels turning in her head. She thinks about it for a second and she goes, gosh damn it, Reese. <laughs> Because <laughs> she was afraid of breaking that commandment as she understood it, so she thought that was the only thing wrong that she'd done. She didn't quite understand the full weight of <laughs> the problem. And at that point, we were done trying to hold our laughter, and we all laughed until we cried because it was so, uh, so good. But her little childlike heart revealed something I think that's in all of us. We think God is a legalist uh, Lord who will punish us arbitrarily for token things that we do wrong uh, instead of a loving father who wants to correct and guide us. And sometimes there are consequences when we go the wrong way, but it's not an arbitrary playground bully. So this commandment is not just about saying, oh my gosh, instead of oh my God. And it's not just about saying Jesus Christ either. Like you hear people say Jesus Christ. And Christians are trained to just be aghast at that. Like we used to be. It's not a big deal anymore. But when I was growing up, man, somebody says, Jesus Christ, it's like the worst thing you can say. When in reality, literally speaking, the word, the phrase Jesus Christ doesn't mean what you think it means. The phrase Jesus Christ literally means Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is my Savior. Therefore, anytime you hear somebody that you know or don't know explain Jesus Christ, you should be delighted, not disgusted, because they have just had a conversion moment. Like, they've just, they've just declared Jesus their personal Savior. Jesus, you're in traffic next time, and your windows are down. It's December in Houston or whatever, and your windows are down, and you're stuck in traffic, and the guy next to you is just slamming his steering wheel because of the traffic, and he says, Jesus Christ, just say, hallelujah, brother, hallelujah. <laughs> Welcome home, prodigal son, another one returns, amen. Jesus Christ, Lord, Messiah, you know, that kind of thing. It's not as arbitrary as we make it. So Jesus Christ is uh, saying that is not the point of this commandment, saying gosh instead of God is not the point of this commandment. So now that we know what the commandment isn't, uh, let's get serious a little bit and dig into what the commandment really is. Y'all know I like to start this part of our conversation by talking about context and language. And in its original context, in its original form and language in Hebrew, 3,500 years ago, uh, this commandment was clearly meant to be interpreted legally. It's legal language in the original context, right? So 
was really a commandment that said, don't swear falsely by God's name in court. When testifying in court, don't swear falsely by God's name. And this is an allusion to the common practice at the time where everybody, everywhere pretty much, swore by their favorite God's name uh, in court to give authenticity to their, to lend credence to their testimony, right? And so that should sound familiar to us today because uh, I think we still do this. Uh, I haven't been in, on jury duty in a while, but uh, I think in most places we still say, do you solemnly swear uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you? God. Because the name of God adds more, you know, weight to what you're about to say. And we can take you at your word, we think, we assume, if you swear by the name of God. This is a very common practice uh, when the Ten Commandments are, are handed down, right? And so, um, literally, what this means is do not swear falsely by God's name in court. Now, what that means is that according to this commandment, if you take this commandment in a vacuum, it's still okay to make a promise by God's name. As long as you're telling the truth. So it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just don't make any promises in God's name. Don't swear falsely by God's name. But if, if you swear by God's name and then you tell a lie, it is an, uh, an act of utter disrespect for and a, a, lack, of, a lack of understanding, I think, of, of what we call the, the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Because if you swear in God's name and then you don't tell the truth, you're showing a lack of fear of God. And we don't talk a lot about this stuff because it's unpleasant and we, th we want new Christians to really like want to come to church and so we don't, we don't say wrath and judgment and fear very much. But you know, Proverbs says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if the world has ever seemed like it lacks wisdom to you, I don't know, maybe I've been, I've been thinking lately, maybe what we lack is a real thorough understanding of the wrath of God. Maybe a reason humility is so hard to come by is because we've not been taught to understand the wrath of God. Here's what I mean. We like to say God is love. Of course, of course, God is love. But that doesn't make God your teddy bear, like your buddy. Because if love is love, it must come with wrath. What is love without wrath? It's a Hallmark card. It's worth about $3.99, $5.99 if it sings to you the same song on a loop. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's worthless. It's empty. It's hollow. It's meaningless. It doesn't come from the heart. It's a token. Love without wrath is not really love at all. Think about someone that you love or someone that you have loved. Whenever you love someone, you sacrifice yourself for them. You lay yourself out for them. You lay aside your own desires for them. You lay down your money for them. You lay down your time and your interests and your energy for them. And think about how it has felt. It's happened to all of us. How it has felt when you love someone and have for some time and then they deceive you. Or they take you for granted. Or they tell lies to you, or they tell lies about you to other people. How has that left you feeling? If your answer isn't angry or wrathful, I'm not sure what you had in your heart was ever loved to begin with. It might have been a, it might have been a more problematic relationship than you realize if you don't respond with wrath when betrayed deeply by someone you have loved. 
And so given everything that God has done for these people, freeing them from their bondage, seeing them in their suffering, providing for their needs, setting them free, liberating them and giving them a new life, a new land, and now they're going to lie about him in his name? They're going to make a liar out of him? Of course God is love, but love comes with the element of and the potential for wrath when it is taken for granted, when the beloved is dishonest. So, people who stood and told lies in God's name made a liar out of God. They spoke as though he wasn't there. They lived as though he wasn't real and there were no consequences for their words and their behaviors. It was like a slap in the face to God. So, here we get to really the heart of the problem. It's the third of the blanks uh, under that first section about what this commandment really means. And for us, this is where I think it really gets real, because the problem here is when we misrepresent the name of God. Misrepresenting the name of God is something that most of us have been guilty of at some point in our lives, probably recently, and probably more often than we care to admit. How many of you have ever made a mess that you subsequently blamed on God? I, I know I have. You know, I hear people all the time blaming God for the messes they made by virtue of their own decisions. It wasn't God's will that you failed algebra, Mikey, you know, like whoever. <laughs> you should have gone to class, you know. <laughs> you should have done your homework. It wasn't God's will for your marriage to fall apart. You both dropped the ball. You're both culpable. You have to deal with that. It wasn't God's will for these awful things that happen in the world to happen necessarily. And so when we say that they are, we misrepresent the name of God. There was a, one of my favorite things that's ever happened in the history of American sports was uh, with a football player named Stevie Johnson. He was a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, a very religious player. He was always the guy that caught the touchdown pass. And then in the interview after the game, he said, I just want to thank my Lord Jesus for letting me catch this ball today. You know, that guy. Uh, and he was Tebow before Tebow, right? And, uh, and yet there was one game. They were playing the Steelers. It was a huge game to see who goes to the playoffs. And Stevie Johnson was wide open in the end zone. It's fourth quarter. They're going to take the lead. The quarterback throws a perfect pass, and it bounces right off his hands. And he drops the ball. And this is the aftermath <laughs> right after that play happens. When the game was over, uh, Stevie Johnson took to Twitter. And this is what he had to say. He tweeted at God. I praise you 24-7. And this how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this ever. Thanks, though. <laughs> I love it so, so much. Because at least there's an element of honesty there, you know? He's not just thanking Jesus to help him catch the ball, but when he drops it, he also blames Jesus for not letting him catch it. Oh, it's just so good. Sometimes, though, I think we misrepresent God when, when we do stuff like this, blaming God for stuff we ourselves did. Y'all all heard Christians have been known at times past to blame God for uh, natural disasters and say it was the fault of some group of people that Christians don't necessarily like, I guess. Uh, there's a prominent Christian named Tony Perkins, and this is not a, I, I have nothing against him. I, I, I hope to share eternity with him, but 
He was on a radio show after Hurricane Joaquin tore up the Bahamas and uh, he engaged in a conversation in which he said it must have been God's punishment for the tolerance of uh, homosexuality on the, on the island, which was disturbing to hear Christian leaders say, but he wasn't the first and he won't be the last. What made things interesting is Mr. Perkins lives in Baton Rouge. If you've been keeping up with what happened this year in Baton Rouge, you know it was this awful, epic flooding in Baton Rouge, and Mr. Perkins lost his home. His family had to escape the flood in a canoe. They barely got out, and they lost everything. Just tragic stuff here. And I'm not going to belittle that loss at all, but listen, back when he said the stuff about Hurricane Joaquin and bombs and homosexuality, the world was listening. The world was listening. Secular bloggers and atheist bloggers, they took to their computers and they noticed what had happened to the Perkins family. And they said, look, Mr. Perkins, you said these storms, they are God's punishment for people's sins. And so what have you been hiding, Mr. Perkins? What sins do you have to confess? Why did God do this to you? It's a very dangerous game to pin some of the things that happen in the world on God when we don't really know why everything that happens in the world happens. And we Christians, to a lesser degree, I think we do this a lot. Whenever you're around somebody who's really struggling and you don't know what to say, when someone you care about loses something or someone and they're grieving and it's awkward and you don't have words, so you say something like, well, I guess God just, God just needed you know, your mom in heaven, or God just, God just is going to do his will, his will be done, you know, we, we got to deal with this, or God will never give you more than you can handle. And we give people the impression that Christians believe that everything that happens in the world is the will of God, when Jesus clearly said it isn't. Not every bad thing that happens to you, that's happened to you, that ever will happen to you, or to someone that you love, it's God's will. It's why Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because sometimes things happen in the world that God neither willed nor desires, that God grieves with you when they happen. Because Jesus said, Satan is the Lord of this earth for now. That's going to change very soon. But for now, Satan has some control and some power in this world. And so some awful things that happen are not the will of God. And we have to stop misrepresenting God's name by giving the world the impression that we believe that every single thing that happens must be God's will. Paul says that God works in all things on behalf of those who love him. In all things for the good of those who love him. He doesn't say God gives people all things, but everything he gives you, he'll work with you through. Everything the world gives you, he'll work with you through. So we can stop saying things like, God will never give you more than you can handle, giving people the impression that we believe everything you've been given is from God. We can start saying things like the world will never give you more than God can handle. Because there's the truth. The world, this world, will never give you more than God can handle. This is what it means to not misrepresent the name of God in our world today. For every uh, commandment, we've been looking at how Jesus fulfilled the law. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm not 
here to eradicate the laws of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. It's still authoritative for us. It still applies for us. But through the lens of Jesus, it looks a little different sometimes. And so how did Jesus fulfill the Third Commandment? It's a little bit later in Matthew 5 where I think we see this most clearly. Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37, where Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I'm telling you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so what in the world is Jesus talking about here uh, in the beginning, right? So he's, he's talking about a common practice in his day. So what's happened is they took the Old Testament law. They stopped swearing by God's name at the risk of lying by God's name. They started swearing by everything else. They started swearing by heaven. They started swearing by the earth. They started swearing by the city. They started swearing by their own head, which sounds a lot to me like conversations I overhear between my own kids whenever they don't believe each other. And my son says to my daughter, did you take my toy? My daughter says, no. And my son says, you promise you didn't take my toy? And my daughter says, I promise. And my son says, you swear you didn't take my toy? And my daughter says, I swear. And my son says, you cross your heart and hope to die? which is a really morbid thing for a six-year-old to say. But, but he says it. Why? Why does he say, you know, do you cross your heart and hope to die? Because his yes isn't, her yes isn't yes and her no isn't no. Because he's so used to his sister lying to him <laughs> that he expects it. He's cynical. About it. Without the additional promise or the additional oath, the additional swear, the collateral swear, if you will, he's not going to believe just her word. Her word's not enough. Her word is worthless to him, <laughs> even at a young age. You see what I mean? So when Jesus fulfills the, the third commandment, what he's saying here is that it's not just about swearing by God's name. It's about not swearing at all. And the reason Jesus says this, he says the reason it's important not to make an oath at all is because if you're following his path and going toward the kingdom of God, if you're living in an honest and transparent way, if you have a trustworthy reputation with those around you, they won't need you to promise. Your promise will be obsolete to them. It's unnecessary because your word is enough. Your yes is yes and your no is no. You're living clearly, honestly, and people can believe what you say. Why does my son make a sister promise? Because she's lied to him too many times. Why does a wife say to her husband, promise me you've been behaving? Because she's been wounded one too many times. There's a lack of trust in the relationship. She has reason or cause to be suspicious. There's a lack of transparency. The more you find yourself having to back up your words with a promise or an oath, it's possible the bigger the liar you've become, or the better the liar you've become, because your word alone is insufficient. Those around you don't believe you without the extra promise. 
And it's not just you, it's all of us. Because this world is such a cynical place now, we never give anyone the benefit of the doubt. We never believe anything anyone says at face value. And this political season is not helping us at all. Because I watch the debates and I just, I just want to move. Like I just, I watch the debates and they ask him a question and nobody ever answers the question. They walk around and they tiptoe around it and they skirt the issue, they never answer the question. Answer the question! Could you imagine how powerful a thing would be for a political figure to be authentic, to be real, to be straightforward, even if they say something people don't necessarily want to hear, just to be honest. Can you imagine what a breakthrough that would be for our country? I'm telling you that same breakthrough can happen in your relationships. I, I know some of you have seen uh, the Liar Liar movie. I've often wondered how different a Sunday morning would be if all of us had whatever Jim Carrey had in that movie when we came in on a Sunday morning because we all come together and we look so happy. You guys look so happy and normal. But I know you're not. Right? And we say, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? And I'm fine is one of the most common lies that all of us tell. Because the truth is, if we were Jim Carrey and Larry Liar and we came in the church door, welcome to church, how are you doing? Well, I just, my life is falling apart and I don't know what I believe and I'm all alone. And I think I lost my job this week and I, you know, like, we would, we would reveal the mess. And would it be hard? Yes. Would it be uncomfortable? Yes. Would you lose some acquaintances over it? Yes. Would some people stop asking you how you're doing? Probably. <laughs> but would you have more authentic relationships with those closest to you? Absolutely. Because I'm fine isn't just a problem on Sunday morning, it's also a problem in marriages, parent-child relationships. It is a seemingly innocent, innocuous, white lie that we say when someone that loves us asks us how we're doing, I'm fine. Especially those of us who've mastered the art of passive aggression. I'm fine. You know I'm not fine, but I'm fine. Then over time, after saying the same lie over and over, we add more lies to the mix, and suddenly, like, we don't know what the truth is anymore. And even if we knew what it was, we wouldn't know how to say it because we're so lost in that web of lies. Guys, in your relationships with those close to you, if you're married, man, just put aside the veneer. Turn off the noise that distracts you from going deeper once in a while. You don't have to do this every night. I'm not trying to make it weird in your marriage or anything. You can keep Netflixing or whatever you're doing, you know, once in a while. But once in a while, turn it off and look at each other in the eye and say, how are you doing? And then answer in a way that you mean it. And guys, you're freaking out right now because you have no idea how to do what I just said. And I understand because most guys, when they start a sentence, don't know how it's going to end. <laughs> and, and yet I'm telling you, trust Jesus and trust the person you're with to hear you through the, through the Holy Spirit, to hear you with mercy. Because, yeah, it might be uncomfortable. You might say some things that are hurtful, but I'm telling you the alternate path is much more dangerous and hurtful. It takes longer to get there, but I'm telling you almost every week I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm joined in my office by, by a couple that's in crisis. 
And they're living in the moment. They're dealing with the crisis, the present crisis, and I understand that. But they're like bringing all this stuff, and they're like, here, fix it. Fix the crisis. And I'm like, look, the, whatever it is, the cheating or the spending or whatever it is, is just a presenting symptom of something that began a long time ago when one of you asked, how are you doing? And the other one said, I'm fine. And that was the first fissure in the relationship because there was no authenticity there. There was no trust. Imagine how much stronger your relationship would be if when you weren't fine, you said so. When you were extra fine, you said so. It works both ways. When you're totally clear, totally transparent, open, and honest. When your yes was yes and your no was no. No promises necessary. This is the life that Jesus came to give us. This is the kind of freedom Jesus came to give us. Freedom's not always easy or comfortable, as the Israelites found out, but, man, it's better than slavery. And those lives will slowly, brick by brick, build a, uh, 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 build a prison around us, and we'll find ourselves, we'll find ourselves imprisoned. When it comes to your relationship with God, the same principle applies. Don't go through the motions with God. Open up your heart to God and begin with a confession. This transparency stuff I'm talking about and this open and honest stuff I'm talking about, it's not just about you being honest with the other person about how they bother you. Not, guys, it's not really telling your wife how she looks in those pants. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. It begins with you. In your own heart. Dealing with your own brokenness. Confessing your own mess. And saying, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. Whether it's talking to God or to your family, your wife, your pastor. I don't know what I'm doing all the time. I don't know where I'm at right now. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. But Jesus came for me anyway, set me free. If you're living in a web of lies, you don't know where to turn, all I can say today is that Jesus grieves that with you and he came to set you free from it. And all it takes is one decision, one day to say, I'm going to start telling the truth today. I'm going to start living the truth today. And if it's uncomfortable, so be it. And if it hurts, that's okay. But I'd rather pay those little prices now than pay a bigger price later. And I want to be free. That's what it means to follow that third commandment. To live lives so transparent that promises and oaths are no longer necessary. Let's go to God in prayer.